بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا ورزقنا علما تنفعنا به أمين رب العالمين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي uh, tonight, insha'Allah ta'ala, we move on to the next chapter in Kitab al-Salah, which deals with al-hath ala al-khushu'i fi salah Bab al-hathi ala al-khushu'i fi salah The chapter which deals with a hadith and basically a discussion on the importance of khushu' in salah. Al-hath basically means motivation or a prompting towards Having khushu' in salah. So we are going to discuss uh, a hadith of this nature, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. What is khushu' What is khushu' Concentration. Tayyib, the ulama, rahimahumullah, they explain that khushu' is um, sukunul atrafi ma'atumaninatil qalb. It is the calmness and the stillness of the limbs with the focusing of the heart or the concentration of the heart or you could say the rest of the heart so sukunul atraf we said is that stillness of the limbs meaning there's no playing around there's no um you know, fidgeting and unnecessary movements. And at the same time, one's heart is present and hadir. His heart is focused and directed towards Allah Azza wa Jal. So we said two things here. The body, the limbs, is not fidgeting and it's still, it's, mo- it's not moving around unnecessarily. And the heart is also present. This is basically what is khushur. This is basically what khushur is, right? So translation wise, yani focusing, concentration, stillness, you know, this is all words that are applicable to khushur. But khushur encompasses your limbs and that of the, the heart. So your salah is done with your limbs, yes, but the heart must also be present. This is the way that we are supposed to be making, um, supposed to be making salah. So the Sheikh says that when the heart is turned towards Allah, when the, when the person's heart is turned towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who knows what's in the heart. And Allah knows exactly what's in, the, what's in that musalli's heart. Then you will find this person will definitely be a person of khushur. He will definitely find khushur in his salah. And his focus, his thoughts will be strictly on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and directed towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this dialogue that is now between him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the meaning basically of khushu'. Right, it's important that we know what is khushu'. We will use this word often in many, many uh, classes. Not just in Kitab salah but often the, the issue of khushu' in salah comes up. Um, part of one's khushu', the Sheikh basic, basically says is that when you recite in the salah, Right, like the Fatiha. And when you recite your various adhkar in the salah, like 
سبحان ربي العظيم سبحان ربي الأعلى ربنا ولك الحمد التحيات تصلوات بان برسلم at the end of the tahiyat or the tashahud rather it's important that we also get to know these meanings well this is also part of khushur that when you recite these things in the salah it's recited with understanding and with focus يعني, on the meaning of what's being said because especially the Quranic part of the salah because part of the, the reason why Allah revealed the Quran was for it to be reflected over Kitabun anzalnahu ilayka mubarakun liyaddabbaru ayati as Allah says in Surah Sa'ad verse 29 this is a book that, has, that we sent down to you which is mubarak it's a blessed book why? ayati why did we send it? so that you can contemplate ponder, reflect over its ayat and what a better time to contemplate when you are in salah. When a person is making salah, you recite Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. And you know what you are saying. And you understand who you are addressing. You understand who you are connected with. Rabbil Alameen. The Lord of everything in existence. Understand? You understand what that word means, Rabbil Alameen. So you focus on who you are addressing. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. You know who Ar-Rahman is, who Ar-Rahim is. Maliki Yawmiddin. The sovereign, the king of the day of recompense or the day of judgment. Yani on that day there will be no king. There will be no Malik. There will be no owner. There will be no Malik, no king. Except for Allah Azza wa Jal, the king of all kings. When you recite this Maliki Yawmiddin, this is something that we're supposed to Yani reflect over and, and, and remind ourselves of every time we recite this, we see the greatness of Allah. We see the rububiyyah of Allah, the lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like this, Surah Fatiha is, a, is the sab'ul mathani, the often recited verses. Uh, the seven verses, which is oft recited. It contains powerful reminders for us. But only the heart that's present will understand. Only the one whose, whose heart is focused and present will take lesson. Only he will learn a lesson from this. There's your tawheed. Re, you know, reminder again. You alone do we worship. You alone do we ask for help. We can turn to none but you, O Allah. This is a, when you recite these ayat, this is, you know, with focus, with understanding. This is, this, this now serves as a reminder for you. And likewise, the rest of the Fatiha, the, the issue of guidance, we spoke about this last week or the week before that, the importance of asking Allah for guidance with a heart that's present, right? We, we spoke about this, the importance of this. So, this is important for, the, for, this, for, for our salah as well, understand? That we recite these ayat with understanding. When this is done, the quality of your salah improves. The quality of your salah improves. Yani, you don't just feel like it's just lip service anymore. You don't just feel like it's just going up and down anymore. You feel like you are praying to Allah. You feel like, you know, your iman increases. You feel the Quran. You feel the reminders of the Quran. And tears will flow from your eyes. And your heart will shake from the remembrance and the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
this is the importance of you know understanding the Quran and, and the Arabic language. This cannot be stressed enough that we sacrifice our time and efforts and, and, and you know that, that, that we strive to, to, stand, to try and understand the Quran and as well as the Arabic language. Um, the next issue that the Sheikh mentions is that if you see a person, if you see a person in Salah and this person is playing with his pen in his pocket or he's playing with his beard or he's fidgeting with his watch or adjusting his scarf like his ghutra, his shimag, or his turban or etc. anything similar to this does this prove that this person is not focused in salah? Does this prove that this person يعني, he does not have khushur or his level of khushur is very low? Shaykh Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah he says yes it does because what did we say what is khushur? stillness of the limbs calmness of the limbs so when you're standing you are not playing with your watch as you know my right hand is over my left hand and my, uh, as I'm standing now my fingers are on my watch and I'm playing with the face of my watch or as I'm standing I'm adjusting my scarf or as I'm standing you know I'm fidgeting with something Allah alam you know if there's maybe a need for it, for example, sometimes the scarf can fall in your face, so you can't see, so you can maybe pull it right. That's maybe a permissible movement, right? Um, or you, maybe there's abaya is falling off, so you just adjust it quickly. But we're talking about unnecessary movements here, fidgeting, like you see people do, you know? He's playing with his pen in his pocket, or he's playing with his watch, right? Then that's a, that's a different issue now, because if your phone rings, Right? The phone is supposed to be off or on silent. If the phone rings, you are now disturbing others around you. In that case, you must put the phone off. Because you are not just, it's not just a movement unnecessarily. You are moving to stop the disturbance of others. So in that case, we say it's wajib to move. In that case, we say it's wajib to put the phone off. To put the phone on silent. Don't let the phone ring because you're not supposed to move. Now in that case, that's one of the movements that's permissible. You understand? We are talking about unnecessary movements. Unnecessary movements. This is a sign that a person is not focused in the salah. Fidgeting, playing around unnecessarily. This is a proof that his heart and his mind is not focused. You understand? Because khushu' is the heart must be focused and the limbs will also be calm and still. A person who is in khushu' in a state of khushu' he stands still in front of Allah. If he needs to move he will move. He has a slight itch. That's different. He puts his phone off. That's different. He sneezes. That's different. He's got a runny nose. And to pull out a tissue and just wipe your nose. That's permissible. That's not anti-khushu or against khushu. Why? Because as your nose is leaking or dripping. That's irritating. It's disturbing your salah. So because you are after khushu and looking after khushu. You wipe your nose. Or you might even blow your nose slightly. This is permissible. Why? Because what are you doing? You are trying to maintain your khushur by wiping your nose. So this type of movement is permissible. You understand? But if it's unnecessary, if there's no need for it, whether it's the imam of the haram or not, at the end of the day, if that movement is unnecessary, this is 
disliked firstly in the salah and secondly this is a sign that the khushu' is not completely there understand that's the basic rule if the movement is unnecessary that is against khushu' the movement has a, there's a need for it then this is a sign that perhaps this person is moving to maintain his khushu' so that he's not irritated and disturbed by either his scarf or by his nose or by anything else so this is the standard by which we by which we, we, we judge and by which we say and Allah knows best. Tayyib. Um, another issue before we get to the ahadith the Sheikh mentions is that the scholars differed over the ruling of khushur. Is it wajib or is it sunnah? Right? So some ulama said like Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah that having khushur in salah is wajib. What does this mean? That if you made salah and you, you were not focused and you were fidgeting too much and you, you were not focused at all, yani you had waswasa throughout the salah. You were thinking about the sports and thinking about you know, a friend of yours and thinking about social media and thinking about TV series, whatever the distraction is, whether it's halal or haram, but you were not focused on the salah. Understand? You made salah from start to finish and you realized you can't even remember what you recited. You can't remember what the Imam recited in the masjid. This happens. In this case, your salah is not accepted. Why? Because there was no khushu' at all. This is the view of who? Shaykh al-Islam Taymiyyah, that it is a fard of the salah. Other ulama say that it is a sunnah, or a sunnah mu'akkada. It's a highly emphasized sunnah. A very, very important sunnah. Right? Which means if you prayed with no khushu' the salah is accepted. But the, the, the value and the quality of that salah is very low. It's not of a great standard. You basically just fulfill the wajib. You, you've, you've released yourself from the obligation. There was an obligation upon you, that salah. You've, you released yourself from the obligation. But did you get any value from that salah? No. And the, and the amount of value we're supposed to get of our salah, out of our salah, is so great but that only comes when the khushu' is there if you pray up and down you know recite what you need to recite and it's over and it's done with and you move on you won't get any of the value out of the salah there is so much value in salah so much reward in salah all of this will be lost because no khushu' was there so Shaykh ibn Uthaymin he says that it is a sunnah mu'akkada not a fard the reason he says this is there's a hadith where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said inna shaytana ya'ti ila ibn Adam fi salati fayaqul he says the shaytan he comes to the son of Adam in the salah and he says to him udhkur kada wa udhkur kada shaytan whispers in his ear and says to him remember this and remember that remember this and remember that yani all the thoughts starts to come isn't it so all the thoughts starts to come all of a sudden you're thinking about this, thinking about a person, a random person that was never on your mind before. All of a sudden something clicks and you think about that person. This is the work of shaitan. This is shaitan. You see, shaitan, firstly he tries to corrupt you as much as he can. His first aim and goal is to stop you from making salah. He doesn't want you to make salah. But shaitan is clever. If he sees you are going to make salah, you've taken wudu, you are ready for salah. He knows he cannot perhaps stop you right now. So he lets you make salah. The first thing he will do is try to prevent you from going to the masjid. 
Ah, look at the time, it's late. Or you first got to do this, you got to do that, it takes too long. And that's, just, that's the first trick. If he doesn't get that right, whether you're in the masjid or he gets it right on the musalla at home, the next trick is to try to spoil your salah, to destroy the value of your salah as we spoke about. This is what he does. So he never gives up. He never got what he wanted by stopping the salah. He moves to the next best thing for him. And then he moves to the next best thing for him, which is stop the jama'ah or stop the masjid or stop or, or khalas you on the salah now. There's nothing you can do. So what, is it, what does he do? He tries to disturb you. He tries to come with thoughts. He tries to come with this and with that idea and with this and with that. This is the work of shaitan. So the hadith tells us, Udhkur kada wa kada. He says, remember this and remember that. Hatta la yadri kam salah. Until that son of Adam, he doesn't realize nor does he know what he prayed or how much he prayed. Sometimes you make salah, you had so much thoughts, you don't know is it the third raka'ah or the fourth raka'ah or the second raka'ah. You don't know how much you made salah, how much you prayed. This is what the hadith says. So what, what's the point, Ibn Uthaymin? Why, why is he mentioning this? He's trying to prove that this doesn't nullify your salah. Why? Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa did not say to this person, if this happens, you must repeat the salah. He never said this. So Ibn Uthaymin, he says, if it is a fard that you focus, then the, the Prophet sallallahu would have clarified in this case, if this happens to you, you need to remake the salah. But the Prophet sallallahu did not do this. So he uses this hadith as an evidence to say that um, khushu' is not fard. It's not a, from the wajibat of the salah. But this does not detract from khushu', right? This, this does not detract from the khushu'. This still means that khushu' is of, an, of, a, of a high, high level of importance. But if you prayed with no khushu', bi'idhnillah, that salah is accepted. But we say the quality and the value of that salah is extremely low, is extremely low, right? So the Sheikh says that a person who makes salah with khushu' he will then truly benefit from the great, great benefits of salah. Huh? He, will, he will be affected by the salah. You know, you feel closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, for example, an ayah comes to mind, the ayah where Allah says, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ تَنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ that salah keeps you away. It prevents you from doing actions which is fahsha and munkar. Fahsha are those uh, immoral deeds of, from immorality and from munkar, which is basically anything that's wrong, anything that's evil and bad and haram. Salah is supposed to keep you away from that. And again, this begs the question, you know, we make salah five times a day, but we still end up in sin five times a day or much more than that rather. We still sin immediately after the salah. Is this not a, a sign that there's something wrong with our salah? That it doesn't keep us away from sin the way Allah said it should? You know, it's a question that we should ask ourselves. It's a question that we should ask ourselves. Sometimes people are going to haram. But what do they do? We're just going to make salah quickly and then we're going to go. Are you with me? They make salah. And then they enter into the haram. Immediately. The salah doesn't keep, doesn't instill fear into their hearts. It doesn't remind them of Allah. It doesn't bring them closer to Allah. It's done, it's dusted, and into the haram they go. You understand? And this is just an example of one of the benefits of salah. That it's supposed to bring in our lives. That we don't 
often perhaps see and Allah knows best. So this will we will only see when we pray with khushu' when we pray the way that we are supposed to be um, praying. If you pray with no khushu' you will enter that salah and you will exit that salah in the same state. It will not change you. It will not bring you closer to Allah. It will not remind you of Allah. It will not instill fear of Allah and so forth. And the Sheikh says, you will forever stay in the state that you are in. What does this mean? If you continuously do this, yani that's the way you make salah. Put your head on the ground, stand up, finish, done. Put your head on the ground, and that's just the state of our salah, you know. It never changes. Then we will never change. The status of our salah will never, ever change. So the point that the Sheikh is trying to make is, we actually need to strive against our nafs. We need to strive in the salah to try our best to focus, to try our best to improve on the status of our salah, to try our best to better our salah. This is something that needs to be done. This is something that when we stand on the musallah, we need to focus on, we need to work on. So before salah comes, you need to be prepared for salah. Put yourself in a state of mind. I'm about to stand in front of Allah and to get ready for salah. Get ready for salah. You know? So that when you're on the musallah, you're not completely distracted already. Shaitan is already going to come. So you need to be focused. You seek protection in Allah from shaitan. You make salah, you try to understand what you are saying. You need to build that khushu' up. If you're not going to work on it, it's never going to come. It's never going to come. Practice makes perfect as we say. You know, so your fard salah is not perfect. So what do you do? Try to make sunnah. And in that sunnah, it's just two raka'at. Try to make it perfect. Try to make, you know, with complete, without thinking about anything else. The moment I think of something, try to stop yourself. Say, A'udhu Billahi Min Shaitanir Rajeem. Spit dryly three times on your left hand side. And, you know, carry on. You ne- we need to do this. We need to train ourselves how to make salah with khushu'. You understand? It's easy to speak about khushu'. It's easy to say, oh, khushu' is so important and it's this and it's that. The reality is we need to take the means to acquiring khushu', to getting, to raising the bar, you know, of the status of our salah, of the quality of our salah. It's about striving against your nafs. It's about making an effort. And there's, there's a, a number of things that we can do, you know. There's a book in English, there's a book in English um, called 33 Ways to Khushu' or 33 Ways to Achieving Khushu' something to that effect, the title of the book. Um, it's a very good book. In this book, the Sheikh gives you 33 different ways on how to improve on your khushur, on how to improve on the, the, the level of your khushur in salah. That book is written by Sheikh Salih Al-Munajid. Sheikh Salih Al-Munajid, right? He is the, the supervisor of the website IslamQA, islamqa.info. Munajid, yes. So I would recommend the book. It's a very good book. It's a small book. It's not a big book. It doesn't take you long to read. Take you an hour or two maximum to read the entire book. Um, but it's important that we maybe try and read it and try and benefit from it because that is a very important topic that needs to be discussed and covered for each person, for e- every single Muslim and every single uh, Muslimah and Allah knows best. Tayyib, um, if a person makes salah without khushur, you know you made salah with no khushur. Salah is done. There was no focus. You know it. You will know. Right? 
Do we say that this person needs to repeat the salah or not? Do we need to repeat the salah or not? The Sheikh says what's closest to, the, to being right is that we say you should not repeat the salah. The reason why the Sheikh says this is that this can open up the door to waswasa. That's one thing you can think is a good thing because, hey, I didn't pray salah in a good manner, let me repeat the salah and do it better. But this can open the door for shaitan. So shaitan will use this against you. How so? Waswasa. You do it once, the second time you make salah, he's going to tell you again. But yeah, the third rakah wasn't good and the fourth rakah you also lost cost, do it again. And all of a sudden you make salah again. And so forth. And every time you make salah, you, t- you end up making salah twice. Every time you make dhuar, you make dhuar again. Because waswasa. So it becomes <laughs> difficult and overbearing for some people. If we say this to people, you need to repeat the salah. You understand? And also there's no clear-cut dalil that says that we need to repeat the salah. So it can open the door to waswasa. And for that reason, we say if you pray it, it's done. You, you, yes, you may be lost out on the reward of that salah. Yes, you may be lost out on the value, you know, and the quality. If you want to make up for it, stand and make sunnah salah. Stand and make nafil salah, you know. Yes, the fard is the fard, but still, make nafil, it's still a reward. It's still, it's a training ground for you as well. For, to better the quality of your fard salah. And Allah knows best. Are there any questions so far? Yes. You, the, as least as possible. Well, how far is the bag? I mean, we, if you're in the masjid, right? The bag's on the floor by your foot. In front by your head. I would say, take a step forward, pick up the bag. Take out the phone, put it off as quickly as and as swiftly as you can without, without you know, with as, as least movements as, as, you, as, as possible, and then carry on. And Allah knows best. Remember the Prophet ﷺ, we spoke about the hadith last week, where he carried who? Umama, the daughter of Zainab, in the salah. He held her. When he went down, he put her down. When he got up, he picked her up. You understand? This is movement that was allowed in the salah. As I said about the phone issue, if your phone's a meter away or two meters away, it's in it's within reach. You know, you should stop. No, I won't say stop the salah. You should move, take the phone, put the phone off to ensure that those around you are not disturbed. Because in this case, it's not just your salah. It's the salah of all those around you that gets disturbed. And sometimes it's not just disturbance. People become angry in the salah. You know, as they're making salah, it's like, shake the head, it's like, and all of a sudden they give you a stare and a look down of like, you know, you know, if you can put it off, put it off immediately. But now the phone carries on and on and on and throughout the salah, it rings and the person puts down and they phone you again. It becomes a big fitna sometimes. So definitely make sure you put the phone off immediately. Um... I remember in Masjid al-Nabawi, the Imam used to often, when Sheikh al-Hudayfi Hafizullah used to recite, often after the Salah, he would take the mic and he would speak and he would say about the importance of the Salah and khushu' in the Salah and playing with peace and so forth. 
and how these phones are a big distraction and how you should leave the phone at home or put the phones off only put it on when you need the phones and it's to say those people who brought groups in tell your groups who don't understand Arabic go explain to them when you get back to the hotels what I'm saying he says he, I remember one day he actually said that he feels he needs to repeat his salah he was the imam and he felt he needs to repeat the salah because he was distracted by the the phones going off and one day he even spoke about people before the salah they sit on the phones and he said this too is a distraction because you are supposed to be sitting and waiting for the salah and not playing on your phone so he did this a number of times i recall this you know when you sit in the haram and he used to say this after the salah you'd pick up the mic and say i noticed when i walked in people sitting on the phones you're not supposed to be sitting you're supposed to be making dhikr you're supposed to be making dua it's a time when dua is accepted you know, and he used to advise the people over the mics. And a random day, he just pick up the mic and say it. Because this is what you would notice. You know, as he comes in the masjid, he sees this. Or in the salah, he, the phones go off. And, you know, he would obviously be upset. You could hear it in his voice, man. And the man is upset. And he, and he would convey this message. That's a possibility, definitely. And, and even whether it's in the masjid or not, you know, the fact that there's music on the phone is also an issue. Besides, making it to the masjid is even worse. In the salah is even worse, you know. So it's something to, to try and to bear in mind. I know we people forget, but it's something that we need to just be a bit more strict over. That when you enter, when it's time for salah, you put your phone on silent immediately. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, you even get apps. It automatically puts your phone on silent when it comes to salah time. But the problem is the apps are not very accurate in terms of the times of salah. If you're in Saudi, they are extremely accurate. I noticed this. The apps, the salah apps, are extremely accurate. When the app says salah, you hear the adhan. When the app says salah, you hear the adhan. When it's here, the app is like 10, 15, 20 minutes out sometimes. So sometimes it doesn't really work because your phone goes on silent for like 15 to 20 minutes. It automatically puts your phone on silent and afterwards it comes back onto loud. The problem is the timing is out so it's not really going to work unless the thing is programmed properly um, and Allah knows best. Tayyib, we move on to the, the first hadith of the chapter from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu that he said Naha Rasulullah sallallahu an yusalli rajulu mukhtasiran muttafaqun alayhi wa lafzu li muslimin Hadith Bukhari al-Muslim, the wording of Muslim. وَمَعْنَاهُ أَنْ يَجَعَلَ يَدَهُ عَلَى خَاصِرَتِهِ Khalid, I'm standing here. There by the, in, by the doorway. You're in trouble now. Um, the Prophet ﷺ forbade the person making salah to pray مُخْتَصِرًا مُخْتَصِرًا Ibn Hajar says 
is that the person making salah puts his hand on his khasirah. Now what is the khasirah? Right? There are three opinions of the ulama on what's meant by this hadith. Right? Opinion number one is this. Look at me. Is that you make salah like this. Here we go. Right? You make salah with your hand just there as he's standing now. One hand. Okay? That's one opinion. The other opinion is two hands. Right? That's khasirah. And the third opinion is like this. Right? Like two people with their hands just a bit lower, a bit lower. Like that. Right? That's the third opinion. That's a typical female stance. A female stance, okay, well, I don't know, but most of the females actually make salahs, they stand like this. Right? There's no problem with this. But, Khalid, let me see. Your khasira, listen to me, is the gap, is basically that gap between the hip bone, between the hip bone and the, the rib, the, the bottom of the ribs and the hip bone. There's a little gap there. That's your side or the side, your waist basically. Good say your waist, okay? It's to make, make salah like that, as he's standing right now, or with one hand. Those are the two strongest views, right? To stand with your hands on your waist. On your waist, or with one hand on the waist. One hand on the waist. Both is, a, is applicable to khasira. Some ulama say to put the right over the left and put it on the waist like that is also khasira. Understand? To put the right over the left on that, that this part here, on the waist. On the waist. That there we go. That's also khasira according to some ulama. Right? So we say you should not pray like that aslan because it's not sunnah. The sunnah is what? Right hand over the left hand and you place it above your navel towards the chest region. So it doesn't have to be too high up nor too low down like below the navel. Although there are ulama who say below the navel, we say the stronger view is above the navel or up to the chest. Right? But not too high up like onto your neck. Okay? That's the sunnah. So, you can actually make that a bit better. Right? You can make that a bit better. So, it's right hand over the left. That's important. Okay? In three ways. One of three ways. You can choose. Either as you are standing now with your hand basically on your wrist. Halfway on your hand and halfway on your forearm. You understand? Halfway on your hand, the back part of your right palm is on your, the back part of your left hand, yes? And onto the, the beginning of your forearm. Right? So the way he's standing there, that's one of the ways you can stand, which is according to the sunnah. A second way is, you put your right hand on top of your left hand. Right? There we go. A third way is that you put your right hand onto your forearm. A bit further up, a bit further, there we go. Something like that. Right? So you choose which way is comfortable for you, or you can, you know, swap them up. If you feel like standing like this, you stand. If you feel like you want to stand like this, you stand like that. If you feel like this, no problem. You understand? But putting the hands high up here by your neck, that's not the sunnah. Putting it below the navel is a hadith, but the hadith is weak. Is a hadith, you will see some of the Hanbalis and Hanafis making salah like this. There is a hadith, but we say the hadith is inauthentic. As for putting it on the side there, like we said, 
this is not the sunnah. So we don't do that, whether it's khasara or not, we don't do that, right? Is this understood? And also, on that point, there's no difference between male and female when it comes to the salah. So the idea that females stand with the hands on the chest and males stand with the hands lower, this is not part of the sunnah. You understand? So the female doesn't have to stand like this. Up, up there. Some people believe the females must stand like that, with the males with the hands a bit lower. Doesn't, there's no difference between the two. Lower the hands a bit, lower the hands, Psst. right. Somewhere there is good, slightly lower if you want to. That, that's a good region to put the, the hands. You understand? Males and females. Just above, Just above or slightly up. You know, towards the chest region. That's a good place to put the hands and Allah knows best. What's the our hadith we are busy with telling us? That Rasulullah forbade making salah by putting the hands on the khasirah, which is your waist, on the right or the left, right? And as he demonstrated for us, alhamdulillah, either one of those we say to avoid them because this is not permissible. Um, so that was the hadith Bukhari Muslim. Another one in Bukhari says that, that from Aisha, This was the way that the, salah, the Yahud used to make salah. They used to put their hands on the khasirah. You understand? So, this is why it is clearly haram. This is why it is haram, because it's part of the imitation of the, of the Jews. It's part of the imitation of the, the Jews. That is also in Bukhari. Tayyip, so why is this hadith, a question then comes up, why is this hadith in the chapter of khushur? And the reason is, that a person that stands like this, you know, with his hands on his sides like that, with one hand on the side, what does this show? This show this person is not bothered, he's not really interested, this person, you know, he's not focused, and there's no khushur in his salah. And also shows arrogance without a doubt. And this is also a trait of the of the Jews. Well, this is how the Jews used to make salah. It's a trait of arrogance, right? In fact, some ulama said it shouldn't even be done out of the salah. But there is no exact proof for that, right? Unless it's done out of arrogance, then you could say, you know, it should be avoided. But this is why we say it's in this chapter, because it's a sign that there's no khushur. It's like you're standing with no care in the world, you know? This is how some people stand, you know, they're looking maybe out of... Uh, out from the top of a mountain, or I don't know, you know, that's what I picture. Someone standing like this, or like a, sh- a soldier, looking at a general standing in front of the army. He stands like this, perhaps, Allah But to stand like this in salah, this is not permissible, and Allah knows best. Tayyib. The next hadith is from Anas, radiallahu anhu, anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, qal, al asha'u, فَابْدَأُوا بِهِ قَبْلَ أَن تُصَلُّوا الْمَغْرِبَ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ He says that when the Asha, Asha, so we got Isha, which is Salatul Isha, and we got Asha, what is Asha? Asha is supper or dinner, right? Supper or dinner. Asha is basically the, the food that's served at the time of, probably before Isha we should say, right? If the Asha, the supper is served, فَابْدَأُوا بِهِ Then you should start with the Asha. قَبْلَ أَن تُصَلُّ الْمَغْرِبَ Before you make Salatul الْمَغْرِبَ The hadith is also in Bukhari and Muslim. Right? An example of what the hadith is saying is a person, 
um, his supper is served. And what has happened? The adhan for Maghrib has also gone. So you hear the adhan for Maghrib and then your supper is served. <coughs> right? What do we say? You should eat. Eat your supper and then go and pray Maghrib. And the hikmah in this is that you are not distracted by the thoughts of your of your food whilst you are making salah because this will affect your khushu' this could nullify your khushu' as you're standing in the salah you're thinking about you know the food and the this and the that and this is of course negates one's khushu' benefits of the hadith firstly asha' or supper used to be served in the time of the Prophet at the end of the waqt of asr before maghrib this is why the hadith says Maghrib. Start with your supper before you pray Maghrib. You understand? So the hadith uses the word Maghrib or the example of Maghrib because in those days they used to eat supper before Maghrib. You understand? So it's not specific to Maghrib here. Just mentioned because in that time Asha was eaten before Maghrib. Right? Um, so basically they didn't eat much of lunch or just eat lunch early is to wake up early, eat breakfast early, eat lunch a bit early, and eat supper early, and go and sleep after Isha. This was the, 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 the lifestyle, which is the best way that we're supposed to be doing it, as opposed to delaying everything, right? Which is what most of us do, Allah Musta'an. Um, the, point, my, the main point here is it's not limited to the waqt of Maghrib, even though the hadith mentions Maghrib. Another benefit that the Sheikh mentions is, if a person is hungry and supper is not yet served and the adhan goes, what does he then do? He must go and make salah. You have to answer the call of the adhan and go and make salah. Because there's no supper that's ready. You can't say, but I'm hungry, so I'm going to stay at home. Or I'm hungry, I'm not going to make salah yet. We're going to delay the salah because I'm hungry. No, you need to make salah because the supper has not been served yet. Understand? Another point the Sheikh makes is what's apparent from the hadith is that the issue of Salatul Jama'ah, the fear of missing the Salatul Jama'ah, right, is not mentioned in the hadith. Which means if you are hungry and the food is served, you need to eat. Whether you're going to miss the Jama'ah or not. The hadith doesn't mention, you know, that you have to make sure that you make the Jama'ah first. Or make sure you don't miss the jama'ah doesn't actually make mention of that in fact the sheikh says that ibn umar radiallahu anhuma who was extremely pious ibn umar was extremely pious and extremely strict upon himself with following the sunnah and following the righteous ways it said that he would have isha or sorry asha he would take supper whilst he would hear the imam reciting quran in the salah Yani he would not get up and go because he knew this hadith. You understand? So the Sheikh mentions another mas'ala. He says that some families, you know, they place food on the table for iftar in the month of Ramadan. So what happens is, before Salatul Maghrib, they place the food there. And when, when, when Maghrib goes, they start to eat. And is this permissible that you eat and then delay the Maghrib a little bit. Right? The Sheikh says there's no, there's, no, there's no problem in this. You can eat. But what's better is to actually have a date or two, a little bit of water or a little bit of gahwa, he says. Then you go and pray Maghrib and then come back 
and complete your meal. This is the best way to do it. Right? This is the best way to do it. So, to first deck the table and eat to your full and then go and make salah, that's actually against what's best. It's best to just break your fast, something quick, something light, go to the masjid and, or may even break your fast at the masjid, pray and then go home and complete the rest of your meal. This would be best and Allah knows best. Another issue he brings up is a person who misses the jama'ah because he was busy eating. Does he get the reward of the jama'ah or not? So, consistent in? Meaning, if he's, norm- if he's a person who normally is in the masjid and makes salah, and just that day, the food was served at that time, and he was hungry, and he ate, and he missed the jama'ah, then bi'idhnillah he gets the reward as if he was in the jama'ah when he makes salah. Right? Because of the hadith that says, when, a, when the slave of Allah becomes sick or is on travel, he will get the reward of the person who is resident and the person who is healthy. Meaning what? If you are sick and you miss salah, or you miss the fast that you would normally have done, or you are on travel and you miss the fast that you would normally have done, those who are resident and healthy, they are fasting. But because you are sick and you are traveling, you have an excuse. You are, this is why you are not fasting. It's as if you will get the reward of the, you know, as if you were fasting. Understand? This is the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The same with salah, the same with jama'ah, the same with anything. If it's your norm that you go out and give sadaqah, or you, you do certain things, and one day you're sick, you don't, you're unable, it's as if you are out there doing that job. This is the, what the hadith basically says. Um, so what we say is, يعني, if you serve food, or you have yourself, your food served at the waqt of salah every day, you are not going to get the reward of jama'ah. Because that's the time that you eat every day. So let's say you take lunch one o'clock every day. So every dhuhr you are not in the masjid. Or you miss the jama'ah because you are having dhuhr every day one o'clock. In that case, you're not going to get the reward of the dhuhr in jama'ah. If this happens by accident, you get the reward. If this happens every day, you are not going to get the reward. Understand? So this is what this is, I believe what you were saying with consistency. Um, of course, by delaying the salah, this doesn't mean that you can miss the salah because you're having a feast. Right? You still have to make the salah in its time. So this basically means you can delay it just a little bit to, to eat so that you can focus in the salah. To better the status of your salah. But it does, doesn't mean that you miss the salah. Right? Um, and also when it comes to eating, the sheikh says, knowing the hadith does it say that you can only eat a little bit and then go make salah. It actually says you should eat until you are satisfied and then go make salah. So that when you make salah, you are, there's no thoughts of the food, there's no thoughts of anything. Because you're done. Alhamdulillah, you're satisfied, now you're going to make salah. Right? That's also, the sheikh also says, doesn't mean that you eat and you stuff your face and eat until you go and breathe. When you make salah, you cannot even make ruku and sujood. Right? And also he says, this is not healthy to do this. As we know the hadith of the third for the food, a third for your water, and a third for eh. This is the way that we're supposed to eat, and this is also closer to healthy, healthiness, alhamdulillah. Um, something similar here is basically 
anything that's, that, that's similar yani, to, this, to this condition, meaning in this case we're speaking about food, but sometimes it could be something else. Sometimes it could be the heat. You know, it's too hot to go out so you can delay. Sometimes it could be extremely cold to go out, so we say delay. Or it could be, you know, anything similar to this. If you know this is going to affect your khushur, get rid of that thing firstly, and then you go and make, you go and you make the salah. طيب, the next hadith from Abu Dhar رضي الله عنه that he said that Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم said إذا قام أحدكم في الصلاة فلا يمسح الحصى فإن الرحمة واجهه رأى الخمسة بإسناد صحيح وزاد أحمى واحدا أو دع وفي الصحيح طيب um, the hadith says that if one of you stands for salah then he should not rub or smooth out the pebbles because rahma is what is in front of you what, is, what does this hadith mean? In the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the masjid had little pebbles as the carpet. They didn't have a carpet. So they, had, they used to make salah on basically stone and ground, small little stones, small little pebbles. So the hadith says, when you make sujood, you should not rub the stones away or make an make a air that's, that's you know, smooth for you because there is rahmah waiting for you basically. Meaning when you put your head on the ground and the stones might hurt you a little bit, it might be a little bit difficult, that's a rahmah from Allah. That is Allah's mercy upon you. You understand? What's the point of this hadith? Don't move unnecessarily. It's not from khushu' that you first go down and you wipe the floor, then you go down. Just go down in khushu' with humility, with focus, with concentration. You understand? Put your head on the ground. If there's any difficulty there, Know that that is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Unless it's impossible to bow. Let's say there's a brick there. Or let's say there's something sharp. It's difficult. Then one wipe is sufficient. As the other hadith mentioned in Ahmad. Wahidatan uda'a. Meaning just one wipe is sufficient. Just one wipe or leave it. Wipe it once or leave it. You understand? Wipe it once meaning if you need to, just one wipe. Otherwise, leave what is there and pray on it. Type. So the Sheikh says that another benefit of this hadith is whenever ibadah becomes difficult, right? In a way that it's impossible for you to remove the difficulty, then you should know that this increases your reward. When ibadah becomes difficult and you are unable to remove the difficulty, then this only but increases your reward. But this doesn't also mean that you make things difficult for yourself. This doesn't mean that you make things extra difficult Believing that this will increase in your reward. This is not actually how it works. Right? What did we say? If you are in a state of worship and there is some difficulty in it and you have no basic way to remove that difficulty, then this, you striving in that worship is extra rewarding for you. This doesn't mean, as I said, that you go out and be extreme yeah, and you make things difficult. You stand in the sun because you're fasting to make it harder upon yourself. No, this is not permissible. Right? But if you are fasting and it's hot, and it's a little bit more difficult for you, this is increasing in your reward because of your sabr. You understand? And so forth. Um, we take one more hadith. Aisha radha'anha, she said that I asked Rasulullah sallallahu salah about moving in the salah. He said, huwa ikhtilasun shaytanu min salatil abd. Rawahu al-Bukhari. He said that moving in the salah, it is 
it is the theft of shaitan which he steals from the salah of the, of the slave. The theft of shaitan which he steals from the slave, from the salah of the slave. Right? In another version, in Tirmidhi from Anas, وَحَسَّنَهُ إِيَّاكَ وَالْإِلْتِفَاتَ فِي الصَّلَاةِ فَإِنَّهُ هَلَكَهُ فَإِنْ كَانَ لَأَبُدَّ فَفِي التَّطَوُّعِ The hadith says, beware of moving around in the salah, or from, move, actually not moving around, we should actually say turning in the salah. Iltifat means to, to turn, yani to turn around. This is what the hadith is actually speaking about. The, the issues of you of not just moving, but turning around in the salah. فَإِنَّهُ هَلَكَهُ Meaning it, it, it destroys your good deeds. It destroys the, the reward and, the, and the, the goodness of the salah. Then the hadith says, if you have to move, then do it in the, the sunnah salah. And here there's obviously a problem here because this doesn't actually make sense. And the reason why it doesn't make sense is because it's actually a weak hadith. And Allah knows best. So some of the benefits of this hadith, we find that shaitan sometimes has power over us. The hadith says that this is the theft of shaitan which he takes from the slave of, the, the salah of the slave of Allah. Right? Um, secondly, the hadith is a warning against turning around in the salah. The hadith is a warning against turning around in the salah. Right? Um, and the shaykh says turning around is of two types. The first type is when your heart turns. Yani, when you start to think about other things which have no relation to the salah. This is the turning of the heart. And he said this is worse than turning around with your body. Because this truly removes the benefit of the salah. In fact, the man complained to Rasulullah about, you know, this whispers that he used to get in the salah. This is the worst, worst of shaitan. And he said to him, Inna dhalika shaitan lahu khinzab. Prophet said to him, this is from a shaitan, his name is Khinzab. Khinzab is the name of a shaitan who specifically comes to you in salah and he whispers and he distracts you in the salah. So what did the Prophet say to him? He instructed this man to, to spit dryly to his left side, over his left shoulder three times. You know, it's a dry spit. There's no spit that comes out. Just, you know, that's a dry spit. There's no actual spit that comes out. Just do this three times over your left shoulder and to seek refuge in, in Allah from shaitan. So to say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. I seek protection or refuge in Allah, in Allah from the accursed or the rejected shaitan. This Hahabi, he said, I did this, فَأَذْهَبَ اللَّهُ عَنِّي مَا أَجِد. He says, when I did this, Allah removed this waswas from me. You understand? So when you are afflicted in the salah and you feel this, you're distracted and you can't focus, you should turn your head, just turn your head over your left shoulder and spit three times and say, A'udhu Billahi Min Shaitanir Rajeem. I believe this will work. Right? This hadith that this happening was in Sahih Muslim. Does this destroy your salah? This was was this movie of the heart? We said it does not. Right? The second type of, of turning around is turning with you, with your body. Right? And even this is of two types. The first type of turning around is when you turn your entire body. When you turn your entire body. So much so that you're not facing the Qibla anymore. And that's a shurut of salah. So therefore this nullifies your salah. To turn your entire body, this nullifies your salah because you are no longer 
facing the Qibla. The second type of moving is when you turn a part of your body. When you turn a part of your body, right? Like your neck. Sometimes you just move your neck. Some people look around in the salah, right? This does not destroy the salah, but it definitely takes away from the takes away from the reward of the salah because it's unnecessary movements. You understand? So moving the neck or moving any other part of the body, but you are still facing qibla. Right? This is, it takes away from the reward of salah. Unless, unless there's a reason again. You know, let's say for example, as a parent you are making salah, and you got a small baby, you know, and, and they start to cry, or they, they scream, or whatever the case, and you turn your head to look what they are doing, just to check if they are okay. Or they are busy in the room, and you're trying to make salah, you know, mothers get busy, and the small child's busy around them, and sometimes they a bit worried, so they just move the head just to look, check the child's okay, and they carry on the salah. There's no problem with this. Right? Even sometimes, you might have to move to catch the child. You know, and this, this happens. I think if you're a parent, you will know this happens. Sometimes you're making salah, and the child is about to do something dangerous. You might have to move, you know, grab the child and pick the child up and carry on the salah. There's no problem because there was a need for that. This became a necessity now to prevent harm from befalling the child. Understand this? So in cases like that, there's leeway that's given by the Sharia to make things easy for us. Alhamdulillah. Understand? Um, and I think this will stop here. And I don't want it to get too long. We'll stop here. We complete the chapter next week, inshallah. Sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka. I do